Welcome to the Space Cave. I'm David Huntsberger. If you've been listening, you probably know where we are right now. And if you don't, that's okay, too. The Junk Show returns this Sunday, March 11th, at the Copper Still. It's the second Sunday of every month in Los Angeles. It's a variety show with animation, music, and magic, stand-up comedy, short films, things like that, and delicious pupusas. If you happen to be in the area, come on by and check it out. You can maybe contribute to the 16-second story. Um, okay, well, let's get into the part two, a continuation of this chat. If you haven't tried the uh, Tokyo Black, and I'm assuming you haven't, it's pretty hard to find, I recommend it. I really like those porters. I feel like this is a really good one. It's a bit pricey, which, if you've been listening, you know, I don't love when beer is starting to become like wine and having these hard-to-find vintages that are outrageously priced. But from time to time, it's worth it, and I think this is a good one to try to find, and uh, made it a lot easier to uh, source it this time, thanks to those of you who contribute through the Patreon. The show's put together and supported through contributions by listeners just like you, and it really sincerely does make a huge difference, makes the show a lot easier to put together. Hosting, um, file transfer, music, the beer, obviously, all the little things that go into keeping a podcast up and running uh, makes it a lot easier. So thanks to those of you who do support the show through Patreon. Let's get to it. Here's part two with Arvel Chappelle, the third. Yeah, this beer is fantastic. I was hoping I wouldn't like it as much because you <laughs> gotta go source it at a weird place and buy it <laughs> one can at a time. But it's for me like a perfect porter. And I, I like, I don't, I don't know that I know the difference between like brown ales and porters. I think I can maybe tell between stouts and porters, but um, or maybe they're the same thing. I don't really know, but. This is fantastic. Thanks for the suggestion. Tokyo Black. Tokyo really Black. Porter. And then we, we left off our last segment, or our last part of our chat, talking kind of kind of like lofty sort of, and also scary propositions of sort of establishing safeguards almost for a world that we don't know how it's going to look or what it's going to be like. That's got to be challenging to like, well, say AI gets involved and say, you know, I always used to think, <clears throat> even when you could first like send videos through email to people, I thought if we had like Google Glass or things, that would be like a hack of your mental state, essentially. If someone's sending you a video where you're driving down the street, <laughs> and then all of a sudden it's hacked with a video where it looks like you crash into a wall. And you, ah, and you freak out, and then your <laughs> friend's there going, just kidding, man, you didn't crash into a wall. <laughs> I hacked you. You're like, oh, oh, God. And that seems like kind of a major fear with, AI and VR and humanity just in general, hackers in general want to just play tricks and like bus crashes because some hacker, you know, got into whatever it is, whatever device or I don't know, that might be, I don't know. That's probably not right. Yeah. No, I, you know, uh, these are all good questions and you know, when it comes to technology, it can either be used for good and evil. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's this uh, going back to the whole, 
Caltech thing we have. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a physicist there named Richard Feynman who mm-hmm. I read a lot of his his writings, and he has this this lecture that he gave about the value of science. Mm-hmm. And in it, he lays the the case and the basis for why we should be studying science and what we get from it and why we should continue to develop technology. And he cites this story about uh, a Buddhist who he went and, and, and met. And the Buddhists have this, this saying or this, this old tale that they tell, and it's like the key, and I'm probably butchering it, I'm sure, <laughs> but technology is like the key that opens the, the heaven, but also opens hell simultaneously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's just about what you do with it. It's not about the key being bad or good in and of itself. It's just what it is that you do with it. I mean, does it feel like with this key, we kind of just keep an analogy is sort of like being inside of a a container of sorts. And every time we turn the key, a bunch of whatever pours in, whether it's eels or just sludge or gross, like crude oil. But then through that hole, we see light and beauty and we get just a little glimpse at what's outside and then we go, maybe this next key will open a bigger door. And it's just more of the same. Every time we turn it, it's just the thing inside keeps filling a little bit more. And it seems like we struggle a little bit more. We fight amongst ourselves. The space is getting more limited, et cetera, et cetera. And that's a, probably a very pessimistic way to look at it. But I think everyone involved in science thinks we are going to get to the thing that turns the key and opens it up and frees us to kind of leave whatever we're contained by. Yeah, I think... A lot of what I think you're responding to with that mm-hmm. statement has a lot to do with the forces that usually surround a lot of the tech, which of course is capitalism and and making money and all that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that sort of thing kind of hampers what the technology could eventually become and do. But it's also pertinent because without that, people wouldn't want to, <laughs> wouldn't be incentivized to go and try to uh, figure it out and keep spending money on trying to develop it. So it's like a catch 22. Totally. Yeah. I mean, part of it too, beyond just like the money aspect is, is the nefarious reasons that always rise up of like violence and war and things like that. And you know, that, that would be frustrating. I don't even know how it would necessarily be implemented, but imagine like a VR headset where it ties into some kid's video game controller. And now you see in their house or now you see in, in a layer or, a city or a village that you're trying to attack and you can hack into that and just by putting on the, and so people go, well, that sucks. And you go, yeah, but have you played the games in it? Pretty fun. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there, there is one thing I wanted to try to um, play for you guys. Sure. Yeah. For anyone who's listening. So one of the things I like to do when I travel is record sound. Okay. And this started on a trip to Japan, incidentally. Um, when have you ever been to Japan? No. Okay, so if you go during certain certain types of the year, they have these cicadas, mm-hmm. and the Japanese word for a cicada is semi. Okay. And so, because they sounded so great, I didn't want to just take a video because it wasn't about the video, right? It was about the sound. Yeah. So I started doing this maybe back in 2013, my first trip to Japan, just recording the sounds where wherever I traveled. Cool. And so. On that trip, it was, how do the cicada sound in Tokyo versus Kyoto versus Fukuoka? Mm-hmm. 
And I did the same thing when I was in Brazil last week. So yeah. I want to play to you uh, and to the audience the sound of what it feels like to be in Carnival. So unfortunately, I didn't get any sound from when I was at the Samba Drone, but this was just from a, a party just in the middle of the street. And there's literally 200,000 people here and uh, people there and they're singing and dancing. Uh -huh. So I don't know if it's going to play right through the phone, but if not, I can send you the file later. Sure, yeah. But um, We'll try it up near the speaker. If that doesn't work, we've got a couple other options. Okay, yeah. So you guys can hear it. And this is literally walking on Copacabana in the middle of a few hundred thousand people singing and dancing in Portuguese. It's funny because like if you heard it, it'd be hard to pick the crowd size. And I just wanted to play that just because there's something I've always thought that music is one of the, or sound is one of the highest, one of the most highest art forms. Mm -hmm. And they're just to kind of bring it back to what's the relevance. It's, I think it's because your mind has to do so much work to add to it. Yeah. And you kind of miss that. I mean, of course, when you're, it's, it's kind of the same similar thing with the novel, right? Mm -hmm. When you read a book, your mind has to do a lot of the work to fill in the, to generate a lot of the visuals, right? Yeah. And it makes it perfect for you. Yeah. I mean, that's why a lot of people struggle with a movie made from a book because they go, I didn't see right. that person that way. Right. So I think a lot of what we're able to do or potentially we're able to, could be able to do in VR is when you start to tailor it to people and when you start to try to tap into what it is they might like, Mm -hmm. then you're almost in a way getting back to that that imagination that is unique to every and each and every one of us to try to figure out what it is that's going to entertain them. So I think that's that would be the ultimate goal. But um but yeah, so just recording those sounds and hearing them just bring so many things into your mind to where what you saw is different than what I saw. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And even though I was there, mm -hmm. in 10 years from now, what I'm going to see is going to be slightly different from what it was when I was there, even. So that, to me, is always so interesting. And I think that's something that allows you to keep getting something from the material as opposed to something that's filmed where it's always going to be the same. And yeah, you might get a little bit of a nugget from the story that you didn't catch the first time, but because you don't have to generate it, you have to you don't have to work as hard mm -hmm. then i think there's something that that is lost that's interesting that really i mean going back to kind of the black mirror premise of bringing a world into you mm -hmm. it seems highly unlikely that what i just saw versus say 10 other people if we stood in a room and we had a wall that we could project our version of it up on there and to walk along and see those and go, oh, whoa, like none of these are even remotely close to each other. Wouldn't that be interesting? That'd be so interesting. <laughs> and so you're saying, or like, are you doing these sorts of things to get an idea of this is, I think this would really ap appeal to some person. Or, you know, could there be a questionnaire when someone comes in, just 40 questions or so, and you go, 
I bet I know what world you're going to like, and I think I know why. Just based on this sort of algorithm that corresponds to these questions, you're going to love this carnival scene. But we're going to change everyone's colors that they're wearing, and we can do that. We can just render their clothing to be different. Could you do stuff? That would seem really fun. Yeah. You can start doing that type of stuff, and most of it's already available just really? from you know, how you act. And on the social media, <laughs> but, um, but, but yeah, so I, you know, there's just so much data out there, so much interesting stuff that you can start to assemble and, and go through with, with artificial intelligent algorithms to try to hone in on that thing that, that you'll like based mm-hmm. on, based on who you are as a person, mm-hmm. based on your past, based on your history. Uh, but before the break, we had kind of touched on, um, you, you had asked me where where does it come from to to want to try to help people be more mindful and, and yeah to try to use these things to help people become more mindful because at the end of the day that's what it's really all about for me mm-hmm. um, that's why I work so hard and I think it's just about trying to find a way to have each and every one of us become who we're meant to be in mm-hmm. a way and I don't mean that by saying that trying to get into anything religious or anything. I just, I really feel like there's a lot that holds us back. There's a lot of fear that Mm -hmm. holds most of us back. And when I look at a lot of my friends or people in my life who have really transcended themselves in a way, and when I mean that, I mean that they have um, self-actualized. Yeah. And the thing that I find in common about all of them and is that they are very self-aware of who they are and how they're feeling at any given moment. And whether it's good or bad, they acknowledge it and then they act on it. Mm-hmm. And they, they'll, they'll, when I say act, I mean they'll express it and they won't try to hide it or they won't try to... Well, I think when we think of self-aware yeah. here in Los Angeles, it's like, am I being needy? Am I being too this? Is this? Does it look dumb? Do I feel... Are people going to like me? It's, yeah. That's different than what you're talking no. about. Yeah, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about... If I'm pissed off, if I'm upset, yeah. it's okay. Mm-hmm. I express it and then I move on. Yeah. Or I'm comfortable in my own skin. Or, you know, this is this was my past. It's okay that that's my past. That's who I am. But I accept it and I use that and I move forward from it. So these are kind of all abstract ideas in a way. But I've just noticed that from everyone who uh, who are in my circle, who are successful people, they've all done that. Mm-hmm. And so I think with these tools, you can start to expose some of those ways that people aren't uh, aware of how there it is that they're acting that holds them back. Does that make sense? I, th- I think it, I'm curious where <clears throat> for you, where it comes from, like the pushing through, because a lot of times when people, you know, suffer setbacks, difficulties, whether that's you lose someone or you're just rejected for something or just doesn't go your way. Bad luck. You know, people start to set into kind of a cynical outlook and, and feel very negative. It, and it's probably this cycle that you eat a little worse, you exercise a little less, maybe you self-medicate with drugs or alcohol, and suddenly you're this person that's not really thriving or doing your best. And so to spiral up out of that, I th- yeah, be, like all those tools that you just mentioned, like if you could put on, say, a VR headset and see yourself or see a version or, or get that anger out somehow or realize how trivial it all is. Yeah. You know, when, when it comes to 
I'm going to just segue into narrative theory just a tiny bit. So um, when when it comes to narrative theory, you're watching a a film. It's a Western film, and it's a hero's journey. Uh So there's a protagonist, and the protagonist has something happen in in their lives, an inciting incident. And the whole film is about how they're going to change. You killed our mom. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to make it right. So the whole movie or story is about how they're going to change and how they're going to, at the end, uh, ultimately get what they need. Even if they don't get what they want, they'll get what they need. Okay. <laughs> so, and by that, you there might be, they didn't kill red so-and-so, right. but they're high up on a bluff looking out at a sunset with maybe a piece of wheat in their mouth going, it's all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's all right. So, so when you start to think about having a, VR experience where you put it on and you're, 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 you feel like you're there and you feel like you want to interact and you feel like you have complete agency. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Does that mean now that you are the protagonist? I would argue that it does. Mm-hmm. And if we are able to start to amass this sort of data using a- a- AI and know how people are responding to content, then we might be able to have them actually be the protagonist and actually learn something through the experience that they're in, just like the cinema protagonist does. Would there be any need, and I do want to go back to um, another thing. I'll make a mental note of that. But with it, like I have never really played, and I always thought that'd be fun to play online video games where you're interacting, you know, the headset, you're chatting with people. Because by all accounts, people say like it's an enjoyable atmosphere. Even if there's a lot of shit talking, they're still kind of like, yeah, it's fun. Like everyone, there's, it's hard to be too much of a complete maniac in there without people like, all right, dude, get out of this game. <laughs> and would this VR experience, you know, when, when someone's a hero in a game where it's just avatars and strangers, it might be different than, you know, recreating society to a certain degree. And then who gets to be the hero? In, in, I think we're all the hero. Because that's kind of... We're, me and you are here together. We're both the hero, uh-huh. right? You yeah. know, we're both in our own stories, mm-hmm. if you will. And we're both protagonists and it's both, and it's fine. Right. Right? There's no conflict. <laughs> right? but, but we both would agree we want a better world or a better thing to see or, you know, an escapism to some degree. Right. Yeah. Our, we need to make a story. <laughs> you and I... Oh, that'd be hilarious if so, like a someone cracked my window right now or something like let's go (laughs) (laughs) go get justice but then there's there would be some sort of it's just to take your example if someone cracked the window Mm -hmm. that would be an an inciting incident yeah then it's like well how me and you both respond is based on you know who our characters are obviously we're in your your facility your place yeah so you would have a different response than i would and maybe someone had cracked the window before and you know that the kids play basketball or, or baseball on the street over, yeah. then it's not so, so much of a big deal. Whereas for me, based on my psychology and where I came from prior to being here, I might interpret it differently, right? <laughs> so it gets to be very interesting, right? Totally. To- I mean, I'm so intrigued by VR to me at this point seems a little bit dependent on acting, because if it's me and a bunch of avatars who are strangers, one thing I always hated in like sort of first-person shooters, they do this in arcade games, you know, like something happens, the inciting incident, because they try to make that narrative happen. But then someone runs over and goes, they've stormed the barn. Come on, grab your gear. Let's go. <laughs> and if you're in an arcade long, you just keep hearing that same speech over and over again. You're like, shut up. 
And so <laughs> to have that in VR, like if my window cracks and someone runs over and goes, it's the triads, come on. I'd want it to be different every time. I'd want it to seem meaningful. I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd trust the actors doing it. Yeah. And I, I think that is what, what you're responding to is definitely one of the major challenges. And it's about how do you have complete agency within a VR experience, but still uh, make it a story yeah, and have it be something that you want to replay yeah, and have it change and be different. And so, so that's uh, without me telling you exactly how we're going to solve that. Cause I'm like, <laughs> I want to, but I can't, but like, oh, this but, is bittersweet. <laughs> but, um, but, but those are, those are some of the open questions that the, that the uh, community is considering. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it just has to do with getting back to AI just having software and just to come full circle. That was uh, the, some of the questions that it, I was dealing with at a very uh, basic level with my project in, in film school. And now just with technology and where it's gone, it's, it's, it's exciting to, to play. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause talking about that, if then loop and going back to thinking about that, they stole whatever, come on. Uh, <laughs> The the AI that would be necessary, the, the Turing test response, if nothing else. The, thinking about the lives that we go through right now where we never question anything. Bus driver that you get on doesn't even have to look at you. But you wouldn't stop and be like, are you a robot? Are you a bus right. driver? We'd never do that. But if you put on a VR helmet, you'd almost want to stop and ask everyone, like, hey, say something. And if they just looked at you as if, like, I'm not a programmable, I'm not a real part of this game, that would ruin it. So right. you kind of need everything. If you snap your fingers and there's an animal nearby, you'd kind of want them to jerk their head around. <laughs> That's impossible. I mean, how do you have a, that realistic of a VR experience? So you guys got your hands full. Yeah, I think it, 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 yeah, they're going to tempt me to go into it, but <laughs> <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> Maybe after the third beer. <laughs> Just keep playing with this Tokyo Black. Ah, oh, it's intriguing. But I like that there are secrets like this. <laughs> I, we, I, we don't need to find them all up. But oh, I'm so intrigued. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it, the technology part is something that is surmountable. I don't think there is a technology limitation. I think it's just the will. Yeah. Just going back to the capitalistic forces, um, not a lot of people are making money in VR yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a VR experience at Sundance that sold for $1 million. Yeah. Or I don't know if it was one million, but it was in the millions, and so that was a big. Uh, it was the first one that actually sold for that much. So it's like, oh, now there's money there. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we'll start to see, <laughs> uh, start to see more uh, 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 evolution of the art form. But the tech industry needs it. That's where most of the money has come from mm-hmm. recently. Is just the billions of dollars that Facebook, of course, and HTC have invested, but from the storytelling side, that's just the tech side, but there's also this whole other artistic storytelling side. And with Sundance, with that Sundance project selling for millions, then hopefully we'll start to see the same sort of uh, innovation in the storytelling. Cause that's yeah. the part that I think has gone a lot slower than, than the zeros and ones. And mm-hmm. so to try to imagine what that innovation will be like is, is, is what gets me up every day. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. I mean, cause it, we touched on that a little bit before the idea of it being a frontier or, you know, mm-hmm. like a gold rush to a certain degree. I mean, that million dollar thing is the first look of like, there's gold in them hills. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's real. That's gotta be such a fun feeling. And I guess the, the, the thing I put a little note to myself 
before and you kind of then touched on it right afterward was like how you would react to say the window cracking versus me and it i guess ties in with the wellness aspect of like does this come from a place where because you've kind of self-actualized and i would imagine pushed through some sort of borders or boundaries just as every human does in life does it tie back to a period in your life where it was difficult to overcome or was there you know we talked about before like loss and darkness and the things that you know light can only drive that out and i think everyone deals with that but were there periods in your life where like that was difficult and that's what really put this in my head to begin with of like giving people that thing that lifts them out of it yeah um you don't have to talk if it's too personal no no i don't think it's too personal i'm just i just don't know if i've ever boiled it down to one type of event sure definitely had things that happened in mm-hmm. my life of course that were difficult and hard mm-hmm. um but i can't i don't think that i have it crystallized to one event i know um huh. i'm trying to think one event well there's probably a series of things but i feel like this whole thing about identity has been a big thing Mm-hmm. I think that probably comes just from being African American mm-hmm. and not real, not really knowing what country you, like your descendants came from. Yeah. So there's been this big thing about identity. I think um, that I think every like minority has to go through in America to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also just wanting to be fulfilled. Like I spent, I think when you're in like in your 20s you have this like idealism thing maybe even starts in high school just like as a teenager you have this i'm going to be famous or i'm going to do this or i'm going to do that <laughs> and then uh and then life happens and you're like wait a minute i'm not really that special mm-hmm. and, it's like, <laughs> and it's like okay so what is it that i'm going to contribute and then you kind of do what your parents want you to do uh and then you grow out of that at some point and then you can kind of go into what society expects uh, out of you based on what you've done up until that point. <laughs> and then uh, at some point I just kind of got tired of all of that. I kind of been a person that didn't want to fit into any sort of lane. Were there books that opened that up for you? Was it just like, what was your, cause I would imagine if the thing you're striving to create this VR that tells a story that when you take it off, you go, I feel a little different now. I feel different how I look at the world. I, I think we all have that, whether it's a book you read or there's something usually that is like that catalyst to, all right, I'm making some changes. I think filmmakers and storytellers and novelists, we all want to change people. Mm-hmm. We're all like glorified psychologists in a way. <laughs> and so I think VR is just the next evolution of that. Yeah. So it, that's the place where it comes from. It comes from wanting to affect people, affect people's emotions, uh, encourage them to see themselves in, in the characters I create. Yeah. That's where all that really comes from. Doing it in VR is just a, a level of magnitude greater, I think. Not what it is today. I don't want people to think, oh, I tried a VR experience and it sucked. Like, <laughs> that happens to me too. I watched but like, <laughs> but I, I, where, I, where it that could eventually go. That was life-changing. I was just watching some dolphins swim around. <laughs> yeah, I think it's about where it can eventually go, not where it is today. But um, but yeah, it's just about being able to, to change people and giving them an experience that could affect them. Mm-hmm. And that's the same. If you hear a filmmaker talk about a movie, that, that they describe it as an experience too. Transformative, moving. Those are like the most powerful terms a lot of times attached to movies that to me, I feel like in poetry that you mentioned prior, 
the, you know, there's that great Robin Williams quote in the Dead Poet Society, like, that's what keeps us alive. That's what moves us, you know, like you, you need those things that sort of light you up. And so it, part of it seems to me that like you being an artist growing up, this seems like a medium that appeals to you the most because of all that. It gives you the greatest opportunity for, because we're watching movies now, we see the most amazing things and everyone goes, that was pretty good. We're just not moved the same. So is that part of it too, that like this, this has a chance to really like shake people? Yeah. Yeah. I feel kind of jealous of the filmmakers that I love, like, because I feel like they get to a point where they're doing kind of the typical things in movies that we learn in film school and stuff. But then they get to the point where they're just like, you know what? I'm bored of that. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to do something different. Yeah. And then they just go and make these crazy art type of films and that just make people upset. It's like, <laughs> I just want to piss you off, right? That That's a good place to be as a filmmaker. <laughs> I have a feeling that you're talking about mother right now. <laughs> I will not mention it. But, um, but I just feel like because people just get bored, I, I feel like we have this this art form that's existed. And although I love it and I watch it and I consume too many hours watching television and, and the cinema, I just feel like there's another place where we can go. Yeah. And to like be involved in that is, is huge. And to be involved as an engineer too, it's just, it's mind blowing. And so I wanted, my whole thing was to put these two things together. I feel it's hilarious. When you talk about this, I feel like I love stand up. I watched it my whole life. And, but I, every stand-up special looks so similar to me and it's kind of a, a trodden path and I made one that I wanted to be a little different and then the second one I was wanting to do like involved like some VR aspects and stuff and so you're endowed with all the tools to make all these things and I'm like well I, <laughs> I just think it's a neat idea but I, I think that everyone probably has that and some people go like you know if i knew how to weld i would make this (laughs) you don't know how to weld but that's kind of how we're all operating most humans are like you know if i knew how to direct a big budget major motion picture here's the story i'd tell like you don't you can't so where do you start where's the the the, it's curiosity Mm -hmm. it's just the curiosity and i'm just i'm pretty um ambitious i've always been an ambitious person Mm -hmm. and if there's something i need to learn i just go and learn it because that's fun yeah (laughs) it's just fun to discover things that you don't know and then everything you go down it's a universe Mm -hmm. you can you can learn about how to make i don't know a hammer which seems like the most boring thing to ever want to make. But once you start studying it, you're like, wow. Oh, I completely agree. (laughs) And if you were getting into all the steps for like, I just think if if everything left us and we had to go back to make something as simple as a hammer, even if it's just a rock that you like use, you know, some twine to wrap to a stick, you're like, well, that technically counts. But now when you get into like smelting metal and pouring a mold and, and you'd be like, can you believe I made this? And they go, yeah, did you get that at a Home Depot? No, my friend, I made this. <laughs> no one will believe you. That, so the, the, I guess what the returns are, are only a matter of how private we are and what you made, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. And so to, so, so to think about what VR could do, and of course we're romanticizing it here, but like, I don't know. I just feel like if we're going to, whatever we think that it can be, it's something that we can create. Yeah. Ooh, that's poetic. If we think it's something we can be, then we can create it. Yeah, if we if we can imagine it, we can create it. Where is our flying car? 
<laughs> well, we have one. They, they have, have the drones. Yeah, that technically counts. All right. Where's uh, hologram though? That's not happening. Or sorry, teleportation is not happening. They've teleported. What? Not people or anything, but they've teleported like uh, I don't know. We can teleport bits of information across the world. Yeah, that's we can true. Can teleport our voices across the world. All right, you've thwarted me twice. <laughs> <laughs> But I just think in terms of education and science education, because that's another thing I'm very passionate about, just trying to get kids to think mm-hmm. and they, to, to, to challenge the way that they think and to give them new ideas. Now we can teach with experience. Yeah. Well, so when you go back to you being ambitious, motivated, are you someone, because you say you like take in a lot of TV, are you someone that can just kind of sit there and relax or you always kind of have to be doing something? If it's good. Yeah, I can sit and relax. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you asking me do I do I just need to work all the time, or do I analyze the TV show? A lot of people, a little bit of both. Like okay. you know, when you're like, I think that's especially nowadays when people are moving, especially in Los Angeles. Like you got to be doing stuff all the time. <laughs> the thought to just be sitting there. A lot of times people can't. They I gotta be sending a text right now, or I gotta be doing something to feel like I'm kind of accomplishing something. Are yeah. you able to just sort of sit there and go? Okay, this is fine. I'm not feeling guilty about to, this. I have to make it myself do that. Really? Have to make it. Mm-hmm. So shows like Black Mirror, like it's easy to do. Yeah, you kind of um, turn off all the technology. Sports, I usually do. I'm doing something else. Yeah, I feel like, like we're very last similar night I was way. watching the NBA All Star, kind of watching the NBA All Star game and writing MATLAB code at the same time, <laughs> like everyone was. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, but. I have to try to schedule those things because I've, you know, that's another thing that I'm realizing more recently is that I don't want to work all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't, that's not good either. Like, I think it's all about balance. Yeah. And I'll have better ideas and be fresher if I get a chance to rest. Yeah. And so that's more what I've been focused on recently <laughs> is trying to figure out ways to disconnect and plan like times to not work. Because I would guess, and this is, again, purely theoretical because of your strict confidentiality, but say that squirrel that's in the VR world that you're like, I got it. So it responds to snaps, whistles, footsteps, and in very original way. I've written the code for it, but now I can, re- I can do this. I, and it means going in and fully like just churning out entirely new script and it's going to be hours and hours and hours and you just like guzzle some coffee and get after it <laughs> in movies that's always our hero a lot of times like well look at all the work they did they were so driven and like they've just poured it in and in the end they had this thing to show for that's got to be tough to avoid that sometimes when you have that spark of like i got it i got the squirrel yeah it's definitely it's definitely tough to do but i feel like i was able to do it more in my 20s <laughs> now in my in my late 30s it's just kind of harder to justify it because yeah. like so I'll, I'll try to en- like encapsulate the idea but not necessarily do the work at that moment <laughs> so i might just write it down and then you know save it for another day because i pulled all-nighters recently and uh-huh. it's just it hurts now it's just not <laughs> it's not the same <laughs> And do people, I mean, how, not to talk too much about it, but your actual work day when yeah. you're around people, like, do they care or is there sort of like, did you stay up all night or just you're kind of left to your own devices to go in? What I imagine is a very Tony Stark-like sort of lab environment. <laughs> uh, people know that I work all the time, so mm-hmm. it's not, they're not surprised. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it's when you're passionate about something and you have the, the vision, then yeah. you just ha- kind of have to see it through. It's like something that you can't control. It's like, so as much as I talk about 
uh, shutting off and being balanced. The re- the reason why I'm able to talk about that is because I have to, I struggle with that. <laughs> I struggle with having to make myself be conscious of that sort of thing. I think the only reason I ask is because as we're sitting here, you're very mellow. Like it does, you don't strike me as. <laughs> but I, I could also like hearing you talk about what you do. I'm like, I'll bet at work you're like the mad professor who's running around like, where's my pencil? <laughs> Just sort of oh, no, leave Arbel alone. He's he's working on something. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's always a struggle. <laughs> if people who work with you heard this, were they like, did he just say he relaxes? I have to see this. Yeah, I guess my coworkers they tell me they they always try to slow me down. <laughs> <laughs> they literally say, "Yeah, I'm just trying to slow you down, RL, because it's just uh it's I don't know. I just when you when you're passionate about something, you just got to do it. What stages are you getting to? Can you get to? Have you gotten to that go that's a checkpoint. Like, got it. We got level one or we've got step one or phase one, whatever it is that makes you feel like if nothing else, we got, we have this and it's really great. Um, the levels are when you're trying to do something that is new, mm-hmm. it's just, it's like when you have, when you're a theoretical physicist, let's just say that, uh-huh. and you have this idea and you work out all the formulas and you have all the math, right. You're like, okay, the math is right. <laughs> I can have an independent audit and they can look at the math and say the math is sound. Okay. That's one point where you can rest. Mm-hmm. But then the second point is you have to test it. Okay. And so then that's when it really, then the rubber hits the road. It's like, all right, <laughs> the math is correct, but let me test it to make sure. And so that's another gate to get through. And then after you get through that, then it's like, okay, I tested it. It works. Now it's let's make a let's make a project let's make something. So in so those are the general gates. Those okay, and those are those are pretty specific to VR. Mm-mm. Just okay. Just anything. Anything. Okay. I think I think that that same thing applies to anything, right? Mm-hmm. I, I I don't the world that I I didn't really work in engineering much, so that sort of stuff to me isn't necessarily like trying to you know make content and things like that yeah. it's, it's not quite the same with like the hypothesis that okay we this well, checks out let's step it up okay so when you're doing their comedy show mm-hmm. and you have a joke you have an idea for a joke right you do you ever question whether or not it's gonna be funny to an audience well there's so many different routes that are happening that i think it's or do you just like, I know this is funny. I don't care. Oh, they, I don't care if they think it's funny or not. <laughs> I just know it's funny. I, every now and again, you say something and it gets nothing. And you're like, I, I got to walk myself through this. Cause to me, this is a very funny concept. <laughs> so then you would go back. So, so then you would go back and try to change the timing or change how you set it up. Yeah. You might like, oh, okay. I get see what you're saying. Yeah. You might like listen to a recording. Like I forgot a whole sentence. No wonder they didn't laugh. Like, yeah. I left something out. I messed. Okay. I get what you're saying. So it's the same, it's a similar type of thing. The one benefit though, is that you can like, I guess, I guess you guys can think on your feet too, but like it can manifest into something tangible right then. Like you could just throw something together and be like, oh, I just thought of that. And the crowd laughs. And you're like, that's, that's now something. It's a tangible moment that happened that was successful. Whereas you guys yeah, probably don't get that. a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're writing some sort of software and you come up with something brilliant and it works that one time. Yeah. And then yeah. you're oh, like, get- oh, okay. You have that instant kind of feedback. Yeah, maybe that's similar. And it's just a part of it. It's not the whole project. But yeah, just one little line of code. One, okay, maybe everything in life is like that. Yeah, I think it's just a whole stream of hypothesis and tests mm-hmm. and then an iteration and tweaking. Yeah. 
and then you die. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's over. <laughs> Where so speaking of you dying, really glad we got to this point. Uh if if whether that's, you know, in twenty years, a hundred years, whenever it may be, and you're you have people they've said, All right, your work's complete, we're gonna do uh memorial service for you, whether you're still alive then or not, just they're going to sum up your life. I would imagine being as ambitious and being on the forefront of, of a frontier like this, there's an element of desire involved, no matter how much you try to squash it, of like, I do want to achieve this. I do want to succeed. What would you like them to say? What would you like them to, where would you like to get? I think it, for me, it's just about having something interesting to work on and feeling like I worked on it. Mm-hmm. That's the most fulfilling thing ever. So if they said like, we're now at this place accomplishing this. You've all experienced this. You, your endorphin levels are at unhealthy levels. It's so fun now to be alive. This could not all have been done without the help of Arvel Chappelle. Like something like yeah, that. Yeah, you know, I, I try to not think about that result. Yeah, yeah, that was a little. Right? Yeah. It's more about the, uh, the journey, as cheesy as that sounds, but it's so true. It's oh, just man. having something to work on and having the opportunity to, to feel like you can achieve it yeah. is very satisfying. So I keep going back to Richard Feynman because, you know, he's one of my heroes. But, like, I was reading his letters. He published a book of, of letters throughout his life. Mm-hmm. And someone who's won, like, a Nobel Prize for physics is still, through his letters, like, trying to find something to work on. Yeah. Well, he and, had that great quote of... um the reason I like science is if it's like an onion and you just peel it, peel it, peel it, and you never get anywhere. I just like, I like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he, he had all these letters to his sister and to other physicists and his friends about, I just need something to work on. I just need something. I'm having trouble finding something to work on. And so I thought when I read through that, I'm like, wow, if someone like him could feel like the same way that all of us feel, it's just like something that is vital to you. Yeah. Us, our experience as humans is having something worthwhile to work on. So my, my fight every day is to continue to work on something that I feel is worthwhile. And if I can continue to do that, then, then I've lived a successful life. I love it. I mean, that concept has come up so much recently on this show. And I don't know why. I, maybe <laughs> it's just like a, a random bit of coincidence. Maybe it's me that I'm driving it. But it seems like that's kind of an organic thing, at least today for sure, that that's what people yearn for these days is, is a quest, like a, a drive to take them somewhere. And not everyone gets it. People are kind of listless. They're just in a job. It's like, yeah, it's okay. I could go out and I do this and I, they give me money for doing it and I come home and that's okay. But yeah, I don't have something I, that's like keeping me up at night because I can't wait to work on it. And that's right. rare. And I don't know. I mean, I know what you're talking about. I know plenty of people like that. Mm-hmm. It's just hard for me to understand it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I feel like it's, I'm from Reno, Nevada, and I don't know what the makeup necessarily of Cerritos is. It feels to me like an extension of LA, just yeah. like it's relatively attached to it, just east. But Reno's kind of on its own thing. And I, I just felt like there, there was a lot of, I'm going to do something. I don't know what, but I'll do it. <laughs> and it's, you know, you see that in movies well, about small towns where they yeah. just kind of. Well, I feel like when you're a kid, you kind of have that. Mm-hmm. But I feel like when you get older, then it gets beaten out of you mm-hmm. because your boss is bad 
or you know, <laughs> yeah. you had a few setbacks, and it just kind of gets you kind of just get beaten into submission. Yeah, and it's lost. Mm-hmm. So, like for the people who are adults and like in their thirties and forties and even fifties and sixties, like how do you get those people to still have that desire and not get beaten down by life? Mm-hmm. Like those are the ones that I kind of wonder about. Like, what is it? Of course, when you have kids, it's something easy to look at and say, okay, I'm living my life for them. Yeah. Right. But they're still looking at you and, it's like, <laughs> and they're like, well, what are you doing? Dad, what are you doing? Mom, what are you doing for the oh. humanity? Like, what is it yeah. that gets you up every day? other than me like i don't know how to inspire that into people but maybe it's because i don't have kids <laughs> but i just feel like all of us should be working towards something and it doesn't have to be big it doesn't have to be grandiose it just has to be something that gets you up at night and that you're passionate about yeah and that's one of the things i often ask people when i meet them mm-hmm. for the first time it's what is what what is your what are you passionate about mm-hmm and it's so, a vulnerable thing to reveal to people. Yeah. You know, people, that's not your business. <laughs> what are you talking about what I'm passionate about? <laughs> and that's what I'm getting at is just like, what is it that that makes you who you are mm-hmm. that you're working for? It's almost like asking someone, why are you here? Yeah. Why are you on the planet? So what do you think it is to tie that in? Because your, yours is obviously, it's not just film or even storytelling necessarily it's moving them through Mm -hmm. those things and ai being this kind of new frontier that fits that sort of niche really well for you and so with that being your passion like i guess when you look over out overall at humanity like why do we need that why do you think that's inherently in us and we've told so many stories we've there've been so many just storytellers going town to town and then books written and then movies made and film and on and on. It's just an endless amount of stories. Why do we constantly need to be filled with them? And is it ever going to run out or are we just looking for new ways to tell them? I don't think it's going to run out. I think it comes from a desire to want to understand ourselves better. Mm-hmm. And so when we, when we watch a movie, we're empathizing with the character. It doesn't matter if they're out trying to save the world or defeat aliens and however high uh, preposterous the storyline is yeah you still connect to something in them it's, it's their humanity yeah it's the way that they uh believe in something but make a choice that's detrimental to that belief yeah. it's something that we identify with because we do it too mm-hmm. um and it's a it's a quest to better understand ourselves so i think that's what attracts us to storytelling mm-hmm. and so um that's never going to run out i mean how often do we reflect on who we are and why we're doing what we're doing it's ever changing yeah well i feel like our tastes have have, beyond just the beer have lined up with cinema and so on did you watch westworld (laughs) i love westworld (laughs) yeah oh i knew you would (laughs) because isn't that concept kind of how life on earth sort of feels that Oh, you know, if this were a VR experience and then like chariots and whatever else, like I get a little old and then you've got, you move into this realm and then it's the medieval and then it's this. And then, and now we're at this phase like, what's next? Spaceships. All right, let's make that happen. Well, Westworld is like the ultimate VR experience. Totally. I mean, that's (laughs) exactly, that is, uh, it's a perfect way to kind of like, they have a narrative thing. It's kind of all the things you're striving to realistically make. Like we talked about, we project it out there in fiction 
but you're the architect sort of going like, we can do that. Mm-hmm. And like I said, like none of these ideas are new. It's just, it's, you know, Westworld, the first one, I didn't even know that it existed prior mm-hmm. to HBO show until I was talking to my father about it. And he's like, yeah, that was a long time ago. <laughs> but uh, these ideas are there, are there in the ether. And it's yeah. just a matter of humanity wants to go there. And if humanity wants to go there, then we can make it happen. Yeah. And it's just how do you put those places, how do you put those pieces together? How do you mature the technology and, uh, and, and go for it? Well, how do you feel about, you know, the collective unconscious, the Carl Jung, Jung, is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. The, that notion that like Philip K. Dick and maybe a couple other people had these ideas of stuff that like we're still going, that's kind of what's playing out, whether it's retina scans or AI or whatever. Like, does it seem like it's programmed to you to a certain degree? Or does it seem randomness, happenstance that all this stuff has occurred? Uh, I, hmm. No, I don't think it's random at all. Like I, these ideas are just out there, mm-hmm. and you grab them and people make them. But you know, it, I just go back to uh, Nobel Peace Prize stuff, and there a lot of times they award it to multiple people for the same invention, and they weren't working together. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, man, that's and cool. that's just because I think these ideas just come about at a certain time. Yeah, I mean, with the invention of writing, a lot of these things that you find in different continents right around the same period, it, it, to me, that seems like a simulation. It starts to feel like, oh, ladies and gentlemen, we've enacted whatever, code blah, 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 238 today, which means they're going to start writing. And then everyone watching goes, look at them, <laughs> they're writing. Yeah, that's, that's a, I don't know if I had, anyone had the answer to that, but I just feel like... I feel like, um, I don't know, I, I, if it is a simulation, does things just happen like that in life forms? Yeah. Or are we an experiment? I don't know the answer to that. Well, let me ask you as one of the creators then, as you're yeah. building a world, because you're essentially a world builder. You're God to someone that doesn't know it just yet. and you probably can't divulge these things, but as you are building the world, does it make sense to let the world grow up or does it have to be sort of finite? Meaning the squirrel is always that age. It doesn't die. The little girl that skips by as I'm, as someone said, someone broke the window, come this way. And I start running, but there's always that girl off to the side who's just skipping rope. Does she grow up? You know, do you write these sort of things in for them to be sort of transformative or are we still always going to be locked by like, no, it's just this world and it's frozen in this state? Well, I I tend to more go toward Groundhog Day. Mm-hmm. Do you remember Groundhog yeah, Day? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Love Groundhog Day. Ned, Ned and, <laughs> <laughs> and it's you're in the simulation and you're supposed to going back to why I first started telling stories and what I think we get from stories as as humans mm-hmm. is the fact that we are supposed to learn from empathizing with another character. Um, and Groundhog Day, Bill Murray couldn't leave yeah. until he learned something about life. Yeah. And so that's what I would do. I'll just keep you in the simulation until you learned what I wanted it, what I wanted <laughs> you to learn. <laughs> <laughs> 
and I'd just be screaming up at the, I don't get it. Because, <laughs> yeah, he does kind of do that. In all those movies, they end up having to freak out, like, what? What yeah, is it? Until you break. Yeah, he just flips out. And it's not, even when he's like helping that homeless guy, he's doing so many things where he's like, what is it going to take? Yeah. But he has to, he has to kind of, I think that's a good model. Like that's beautiful, yeah. Yeah, to to have people go through that. The problem is, if there's someone controlling it, then you're like, okay, well, then what is it? Yeah, like Truman really, Show. Yeah, like, <laughs> are they really messing with me? Like, what is it? So yeah, that's when it when you have to be careful about who or what is a safe word. Like, there should be a safe word to and to exit. <laughs> Do you ever feel? I mean, you must. I I think we all kind of feel that way at some point where you look up and like why are you making me do this? Why is he making it so hard? Just let me figure this part out. I, yeah, I, I feel like if, if we are being played remotely by like video game controllers, sometimes you're like, why, why is this worth it to you? Why not just let me get to the good part? Yeah. I will say that being involved in this sort of thing, like really makes you start to question the creation, creationism or to, or to believe more in creationism. Mm-hmm. Cause I kind of went vacillated throughout my life both ways because raised in a traditional christian baptist household uh and then saw that deteriorate and so kind of just just swore that off Mm -hmm. and then now going back to doing this kind of stuff you start to think well if we're created then like this is kind of (laughs) what we're doing in in virtual reality if we're like (laughs) in a virtual reality now yeah is it god who created it like who created it it's really do we call that person god like yeah you know yeah, like not in the, I've never thought of it in sort of like the robes and sandals sense, but more in, in just that, that like whether it's putting ingredients into a fishbowl or pressing enter on an algorithm that's going to run or whatever, that seems more, it doesn't seem outrageous. It doesn't seem, and it's probably on the same level as just a, a random explosion and all this matter forming into this, things that have consciousness. I think they're all on the table. Yeah. But it's really refreshing to hear someone on your end from like much more involved in the science side, um, have that at, at point of view. It's just, I feel like it's kind of rare. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I just feel it, it's only kind of a recent thing as I start getting into <laughs> this whole, as you get closer to being to, an actual, just like this VR thing. It's just like, wow, we're actually creating, if we can actually fool somebody, <laughs> then it's a joke really on us. Like, yeah. <laughs> and so that has gotten my mind just kind of thinking about that. But like, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've grew up, like I said, in, in a traditional Christian household. But then as I started learning science and really thinking about what was out there and seeing how limiting some of the texts were, yeah, then you start to question a lot of things, but now I'm kind of back full circle and more fluid and my beliefs because of the work, the work that I'm doing. Yeah. Oh, it'd be so weird if you created a world and people went into it and then they took off the headset and you're like, what'd you come up with? And like, I hate gay people. Like, ah, <laughs> Go back in. <laughs> <laughs> Go back in. You didn't get it. Or I need to change an algorithm. <laughs> oh, I, I knew I wrote that bit of code wrong. <laughs> Well, I won't keep you here all day, man. We have a little bit of beer left. I don't know if you want to keep going or you probably need to get get on your way. It's up to you. Yeah, I got that. Got a f- yeah, I got to go. Okay. I got a couple more questions for you then. Okay. First of which is the universe. You're outside of it, whatever that means. And you're holding it in your hands. It's roughly the size of a basketball. What? Is, explain it. Describe what the universe would feel like to you. 
you're this huge being. Okay, so I'm holding the universe in my hand. What would it feel like? Mm -hmm. I think it would feel hollow. It would feel light. Really? So, because we talk a a lot about, you know, black holes and the density involved in that and these. Yeah. But you think that's all meaningless if you're holding it. Be just this empty kind of vessel-y thing. Right. That it's just I think it's hollow. The reason I think it's hollow is because if I'm holding it and it's it's my creation, Mm -hmm. then I want to mastermind it. Like I want to put as much into it as I could. And I just don't think that that's even possible. I think that there is going to become a point where there's just not enough time. That time will run out. Yeah. And then I can't perfect it. So... That would, that would be my answer. I like it. I like that. Okay. So it would always feel incomplete. That's what I mean by the hollowness, even though it's something I'm holding that's big and to the people there, they think it's complete. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's always at some stage of incompleteness because I haven't put everything I can into it. Man. And I don't know that that's even possible. I got to start compiling all the recordings of these answers because I think it's, <laughs> and then have like someone analyze them. I think there's a lot within that. I, I don't know what it, I don't know what it means, but I, I really like that. That's, that's a very unique take. Okay. The second one, I know your answer, what it's going to be, but I'll ask even still as a creator person, you uh, have a button that you can push that removes all of humans from planet earth. No one feels any pain. It's completely painless, but it just, they're gone. All of the trappings that come along with that industrial waste, extinction of species, etc. Would you push the button? <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's a very difficult question. <laughs> oh, I didn't think it'd be difficult for you. On the one hand, my finger would probably be like, the, well, I will, I probably will go too. If You'll I go too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't know what's next. It's whatever is next is next. You don't get any guarantees there, but you won't feel any pain. No, I couldn't push it. <laughs> Purely from your own. Out. We have to ride it out. Okay. All right. Yeah, no one's pushed it yet. <laughs> okay. Final one. I just thought of this. This is specific to you. This is a question tailored just to you. We t- I, that analogy I made before where it's a container. Maybe it's kind of like a grain silo, but it's only 10 feet high. And we're human size. And it's as wide the diameter as you want it to be. However many people in there. But it's filling up. It's up to people's like chin nearing their nose where it's going to get very difficult and perhaps it's even above that where people are having to like bounce off the floor and <gasps> go up and take a breath and technology this metaphorical key has opened a thousand or say 999 tiny little windows but we see out and it's a beautiful something you don't know what it is but it's out there you hold this final key this bit of technology that is the 1000th key you're under the impression that one of these has to open a door to let us out, but you have the data that 99.9% of them have not worked. Do you, and knowing that if you turn the key on this last one, there's a probability that you'll fill, it'll fill up, and that's the end. There's a tiny sliver of a chance it'll open up the door that everyone's talked about. Do you turn that key? But it's filling up anyway, right? Yeah, I guess <laughs> Yeah, I guess there's... All right, this one needs some work. <laughs> it's filling up anyway, so you just got to try. Oh, that's the try. caveat. With 999 of them open, everyone can sustain if it just stays that oh, way. Oh, okay. And everyone can, can sustain. For at least a while. You give yourself, say, 100 years. If you turn the key and it doesn't work, gives you one week. All right, now it makes sense. Hmm. 
And it's just grain inside of the silo? No, it's filled with like this oh, okay. sludgy thing say, full of eels and stuff. You have to eat the grain stuff. after a while and then We're all just down. sort of existing in a way that's not metaf- metaf- like bollocky or biologically dependent. We're just kind of there as these beings. But we can die. We can certainly suffocate or drown or whatever this substance is. This one needs a lot of work. Yeah, I, that one's a tough one. I'd say I wouldn't turn it. You wouldn't turn it? I don't think so. But I Because you're already there for, in for perpetuity, yeah. but you're still existing. But see, I when I think of you, I think of you as the key turner, like having the faith, having real confidence that like just because this coin flipped however many times one way doesn't mean this next one's going to go that way. I believe that this key is there. I believe like a way out and all the beauty is out there. So I see you as more of a key turner. I'm a, I am a key turner, but in the scenario that you just <laughs> that you just laid out, like there's a lot of uncertainty. All right, that's there's fair. a ton of uncertainty. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. It needs a little work, and I just don't know if I take the risk. I feel like we can all live there and be fine without turning the key, and maybe we could all get tired at some point and then turn it. Okay, but I feel like there is no immediate reason to make a decision quickly. Okay, that's it. so. I think that says something. You feel like how it currently is. We're not in desperate need of this escape key. Right now, okay. if there was something that we needed to do before, like if the if the grain was continuing to fill up, mm-hmm. and we were there was some time factor. Yeah. Then well, it would be then like, you can make the case to turn it. Okay. Okay. Well, like yeah, this one needs some work. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I like I like your theory there that there's no reason to rush things. If we don't have to, unless there's an absolute necessity. Yeah, you got to make a ticking clock. Yeah. You got to have something like imminent, and then they have to do one thing or the other. Yeah. Then okay. you have to, yeah, that's that's how you would. Okay. Because the whole story thing with the ticking clock, right? Yeah, you need, I mean. To raise the stakes. Good mechanism. If, <laughs> come on. To force a decision. <laughs> Someone cracked the window. It's the triads. We only have three days. Let's go. <laughs> now your story is getting some drama to it. <laughs> well, I hope you'll let me come play the story uh, when you get it up and running. I want to see that squirrel and uh, find out who broke my window. Arvel, Chappelle, any final uh, things you'd like to add? Plugs or anything like that? No. Just thank you. I want to give a plug to Tokyo Black. Yeah. The beer that we're drinking. Fantastic. And, um, uh, and once again to Sam Mondegarin and Kim Bowman. Thanks for to just yes. both of them being pleasant human beings. And I really enjoyed this. I hope you come back sometime. I'd love to. Cool. Thanks, Thanks for so. having me. The architect of the future. Really fascinating uh, talking to that guy. I do need to work on that uh, <laughs> that question. I don't think I'll bring that one back again. But it seems like there's something there. Like you're stuck in this uh, container or something like that. But I liked all his answers. I liked the way he thinks. And I mentioned it the last episode, how he, uh, after we were done was like, ah, oh, you know, I'm like made a decision to kind of put myself out there a little bit more. I would never have guessed that he was someone that, uh, it wasn't completely natural to just go into a stranger's environment and have a chat. He's just very, very, uh, convivial and pleasant and all of those things. There's, I, I think, uh, you know, everyone communicating digitally these days, maybe on, on some level it's easier as introverts and things like that, but it also uh, makes it easier for people to be less kind to one another. You know, when you can see people's body language, see their their eye contact, et cetera, it seems like maybe that's a representation now of the world when we see it through a digital lens that it's uh, angry and things like that. But I don't know what that has to do with him putting himself out there. Anyway, I just... Uh, 
I'm glad that he did come visit and that it was uh, a step out of the comfort zone because I really, really enjoyed that chat. And I hope he comes back and I hope we all get to go play in his uh, virtual world at some point. And I hope that squirrel's there and reacts when we make noise. But who knows if that'll happen. Anyway, thanks again for supporting the show. Thanks to Dan for putting it together. Thanks to Rob Crow for the theme song. Thanks to all of you for sharing it, rating, reviewing, subscribing, any of those things that, that do help the show. I appreciate it. Here's a song from the shelters called Gold. I hope you like it. Thanks for stopping by the Space Camp. Through the-